Last week, or last Sunday, we got down to verse 7, where we talked about how that the Apostle Paul said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And, of course, he's coming to the conclusion now of a very important point he's trying to make as far as some people that could possibly be causing some trouble in the church at Philippi. I want you to put your thinking caps on just for a little bit and help me out, whether me give you another whole review of the book up to this point. Let's just talk about the point at hand. What was Paul, first of all, warning the church at Philippi about? All right, Judaizing teachers. Uh, he refers to them as, in the text as being dogs and evil workers. All right, in the context of the book as a whole, uh, why is he discussing these Judaizing teachers? What? I'm sorry, huh? Unity. If there's ever something in the first century that would split a church in pieces, it would be Judaizing teachers, okay? And, of course, we understand and appreciate the fact that they were people who were trying to uh, get Christians to be under the law of Moses. Um, circumcision is mentioned specifically because of the fact that that seemed to be the crowning act. If they could get a person to be circumcised, then they certainly had their way. But it wasn't just the right of circumcision. It was all the things uh, pertaining to being a Jew and following the law of Moses. So if you were a Christian, you couldn't eat pork. If you were a Christian, you were needing to keep the feast days. If you were a Christian, um, you, you had to do all the things that Jews did before. So you were, you were a Christian, but you needed to be a Jewish Christian is basically what they were saying. And so Paul begins this particular discussion uh, dealing with the Judaizing teachers. The first thing he does, as we talked about last Sunday, is he proves to them that without a doubt, if there's ever anybody who could be saved being a Jew, it would be the Apostle Paul. If being a Jew would get someone saved, well, then here, here's the case study right here. And we spent a lot of time uh, talking about this uh, Sunday, about how he was circumcised the eighth day of the sock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, he here is a Jew's Jew. But then we got to verse 7 where he drives the point home and puts it in the face of the Jews, if you will. They're trying to turn people into Christians or turn Christians into Jews. He says, but what things were gained to me, talking about everything that he said previously, those I counted loss for Christ. And um, we've made the point that the word count there is in the heirs' perfect tense, meaning there was a particular point in time that something happened that has... Um, uh, present ramifications, and we talked about how that was his conversion. Uh, but he said all the things that he just mentioned were lost when he became a Christian. Now, what did he mean that all these things that he just mentioned there in verses 5 and 6, what does he mean they were lost? Became unnecessary. In other words, all those things he mentioned as far as him being saved had nothing to do with anything. Uh, absolutely nothing to do with anything. And this is the train of thought he's going to continue now for just a little bit because he wants to emphasize to those Judaizing teachers that might read this, but more importantly to the church at Philippi who would read this, who would have these men come in and try to bombard them. Well, here they got their evidence to stop it right here. 
Well, you know who the Apostle Paul is, don't you? And those Judaizing teachers say, yes. So did you know that he was this, this, and this, and this? That didn't get him anywhere. And now you want me to do this, 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 and this? That's not going to get me anywhere. All I'm interested in, as Paul says here in verse 7, is I want to be doing what is for Christ. What can I do to achieve Christ? And so he goes on in verse 8 and says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 7 and verse 8 and verse, uh, or just in verse 8, two different times, verse 7 and verse 8, two different times, and also once in verse 7, he uses a word, um, in those two verses, three different times. What's the one word he uses three different times? And the reason why he's doing that, he's emphasizing that what the Judaizing teachers want you to do end up being, what's the word there? I'll give you a hint. It's only four letters. Lost. There it is. And we talked about Sunday how that that word means worthless. Everything Paul did was worthless, considering as far as what he wants to do for Christ. In fact, he goes on in verse 8 and uses the word again, and he says, Yea, doubtless, or some translations, or a better translation would be, in fact, anything or all things that he could do as far as his own achievement is concerned is worthless. Now, I want you to notice in the text that in verse 7 it says, I counted loss for Christ. And then in verse 8 he uses the same words again, I counted all things but loss. But he changes the tense from one verse to the next. And you don't pick that up in the English because it's using the exact same word. In verse 7, he uses the aorist perfect tense. It means there was a point in time, when he, talking about when he became a Christian, that had implications in the future, and that was when he became a Christian, every single thing that he had ever done in his life was worthless. But then he uses the present tense in verse 8, where he uses the word count. And you remember... I told you in the Greek, the present tense is continuous action. So he's saying there's a point in time when I counted everything but loss, when I became a Christian, and it's still the case now. As I live the Christian life, there is nothing, absolutely nothing I can do to earn my salvation. Now, he's making a very important point to the Judaizers here. They're saying that once a person became a Christian, well, it's all fine and good that now you're a Christian, but you need to start adding all these things to you if you really want to be saved. Paul says, nope, it happened when I became a Christian, and it's still the case now after I'm a Christian. It still is the same thing. Anything I do, verse 8 says, in fact, anything I do, are, and I count all things but loss. And the reason why he counts it all for loss, the text says, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. Now, we need to talk about that just for a moment. What does he mean when he says, and maybe paraphrase it so it makes more sense, when he says, everything that I do means nothing. It's worthless. And it means nothing because it's worthless, because of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, what is he driving at there? I'm sorry? All right, God has done it all, and I agree with that 100%, but how does it fit in with the knowledge? What's the knowledge he's talking about? What do you think, Michael? All right, 
And that's, that's good. That's exactly what I want you to think about. And what you said, Julie, ties into that. Anything that I can do does not compare to what is excellent, which is Jesus Christ. But we still need to, to deal with the idea of knowledge here. Now, the word knowledge here in the Greek is not the typical word for knowledge, which is uh, gnosis. Um, it's, a, it's, a word with, it's a word that's a little different from that, and it means a very special type of knowledge that's personally related to you, okay? Uh, there's a lot of people who can understand uh, the knowledge or the facts that there was a man named Jesus, and they may even believe that there was a man named Jesus, but it's different from the kind of knowledge he's talking about here. There's some kind of knowledge that he now knows that has an effect upon what he just said about how everything he's done in his life is worthless and has no meaning as far as his salvation is concerned. Okay, you're getting way ahead of us. You're getting way ahead of us. That might even be next week you're getting so far ahead of us. No, I can't. I love this book too much. We've got to pick it to pieces. <laughs> All right. All right. And, and once again, that's exactly right. But there are other people who had the knowledge that the Messiah came that didn't respond to it. Now, there's something special. Beverly, you had your hand up, and then we'll go to flow. Y'all really making this harder than what it is because th- you think I think I'm tricking you. <laughs> right, absolutely. And a lot of people are guilty of that. And that's why, you know, we continue to grow in our trust and faith in God. And we have babes in Christ and those who can handle the strong media, if you will. Uh, but that's not distracting. And that kind of ties into what I want, want you all to see. Flo, what were you going to say? All right. Everything you're saying is, what? You got it. He was an apostle. Very good. Y'all were making, what are you going to say, Julie? All right. And, and, and that's getting to the idea of that word knowledge there in the Greek means a personal. No, in fact, just to be honest with you, this is the uh, Greek form of the Hebrew form that's used for knowing in the Old Testament, like Adam knew Eve. It doesn't translate exactly the same way, but it's some intimate knowledge, all right? But here's all I want you to see that you're missing. And we're making it, I'm making it too hard for you, evidently. Uh, Scott, what do you know about Christ? What, kind, what knowledge do you have of Christ? Tell me your knowledge. You got some knowledge, don't you? That's pretty personal knowledge, isn't it? Tell me about your knowledge. Don't make it harder than what it is. Just give me an answer. I see those wheels just turning up there. What does he want? What does he want? I don't want anything. I just want you to tell me what you know. Okay. Every, I agree with everything everybody's saying tonight. But keep it within context of what he's talking about. Remember, he's dealing with the Judaizing teachers, and he's proving to them that a man can't be saved by works. Man can't earn his salvation. No matter if he was the Hebrew of the Hebrews and, uh, and touching the law blameless, he can't save himself. But he counted all those things. He realized how unnecessary all those things were when he did what? When he, because of or for there, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. What does he, he became a Christian, but what does a person know and appreciate and needs to fully understand when they become a Christian? Janice. All right. That when Jesus died on the cross, he did everything that was necessary for a person to be saved. 
Now, obviously, the same Jesus told us, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There's some requirements for us to come under that grace, to accept that grace. But the point that Paul is driving here in the text when he's dealing with these Judaizing teachers is, if you really know what the purpose of Jesus Christ is, and understand and appreciate the fact that he was the one who died on the cross for the propitiation of our sins, then if you had that knowledge of that excellent knowledge of what Jesus Christ did, then you would understand and appreciate how foolish it is to believe that anything that these Judaizing teachers were teaching you is true. Because if any of what the Judaizing teachers were teaching you is true, then it basically makes the cross of none effect. There's no need for it anymore. But the cross, if you understand what the purpose of Christ coming to this earth and what his purpose was in dying on the cross, then that knowledge causes you to realize, as Paul said, everything, I just count everything as worthless. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we spent some time talking about this the other day. He had Timothy uh, circumcised because of the fact that his, he was a Jew on his mom's side and a Greek on his dad's side. But as they traveled through different regions, he did that for, so Timothy would be accepted because he was part Jew. It wasn't because of anything to do with his Christianity. It was as far as being accepted in places so they could get an entrance into places. For example, if Paul went into a synagogue with Timothy and Timothy wasn't circumcised and they knew that his, he, was, had Jewish, he was Jewish ancestry, then they wouldn't let him in, okay? I don't know how they did that. <laughs> but, but it's obvious he had Timothy circumcised because of that reason. It was a nationalistic reason. It wasn't a religious reason because you have Titus, who was also a traveling, traveling companion of Paul, but he was a Greek and he was not circumcised. Now, he was a Christian and he traveled with Paul, but Paul knew this guy did not need to be circumcised, even though he was a Christian just like Timothy, but it's because he was a Greek. His nationality had nothing to do where Paul wanted to travel. So it was a matter of expediency. It wasn't a matter of command. Does that make sense? He, wasn't, he didn't say that, in fact, he even talks about here in verse uh, 2 how that um, beware of the concision. We, we talked about how that that's a play on words of circumcision, turning it into mutilation. Because anybody who circumcises somebody for the purpose of religious reasons, you're just mutilating that person because it has no value whatsoever. But even today, men get circumcised for medical reasons. A lot of people have when their babies are born, they get them circumcised because they think it's a healthier thing. And there may be uh, other reasons why a person might be circumcised, but if you do it for religious reasons, it's just pointless. But if you do it for other reasons, well, that's what's, what's done for. But Paul says if you do it for religious reasons, you're just mutilating yourself. And he didn't do Timothy for religious reasons. He did it because of national reasons and the traveling they were doing. So I hope that answers your question, Roger. If not, we can talk more about it later. But the bottom line, I want to make sure you understand that the most excellent thing that, that Paul ever understood and appreciated was the knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ took his place, that Jesus Christ died for his sins. And basically, folks, this is something that we, I hope you appreciated when you became a Christian. The reason why you became a Christian was because of this excellent knowledge. Here you are, you're a sinner, and you're lost, and you can't do a thing about it. But somebody comes to you and preaches the good news, and that's why it's called the good news. And it doesn't seem fair, and it doesn't seem right, and we feel like we're getting away with something when we first started hearing about it. But there was a man who lived over 2,000 years ago who was a perfect man who died on the cross, shed his blood so I can have forgiveness of sins. And I don't deserve it. There's no way I can pay it back. 
There's just not a thing I can do. And that's what Paul is driving at here. I count all things but loss. Because when you think about it, knowing what I know about what Jesus Christ is, that takes care of all the rest of it. There's nothing else I can put up there. Nothing else counts. And he's throwing it right back in the face of these Judaizing teachers. If you fully appreciated who Jesus Christ is, had the knowledge of him that you needed to have, there's no way in the world you ever be going in these congregations and telling them they have to do these different things. Because Jesus paid it all. In fact, um, he goes on and, and says, um, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. Now, the word for dung there is the word that you think it means. It means, um, it's actually a medical term in the Greek, but it means uh, human excrement. Now, whenever I read that, I think, why in the world did Paul want to use that word? Well, he's trying to make a very powerful point. Um, think about something that's um, about as repulsive as it can be. Something that we normally don't want to be around. Something that we have all kinds of systems in place, especially in this day and age, to, to, to keep that away from us, if you will. The sewers and everything else. And he's making a, a comment here that if anybody thinks that anything they do somehow or another earns their salvation, uh, let me tell you what that really is. And he's saying it's just excrement. And um, the Greek word there is skabola, I believe, which is, like I said, a medical term for, for, um, for human waste. You'll find some commentators, some translations talk about it means garbage and means other things, but I think they're just trying to be nice and, um, because they don't want to say that's what it is, but that's what it is. And that should show you what Paul thought. First of all, he called these guys dogs, and what he thought about what they were trying to get people to do, it's just excrement. I mean, I hate to be, sound ugly, but that's basically what he's saying. In fact, what he's telling us is that any time that we think that somehow or another we can be good enough to be saved or think we can earn ourselves not to be, enough to do enough to be saved, then we're dumb, is what he's saying. One of the hardest things for Christians to, to appreciate, and this is what Paul's driving at in this text too when he talks about the excellent, excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of the things we do as we grow as a Christian, we learn more and more to depend upon Jesus Christ than not depend on ourselves. That's one of the hardest things for people to do. But the happiest Christians on the face of the earth are the ones who have the, the knowledge and understand and appreciate the fact that Jesus dying on the cross, if we obeyed what he told us to do to become a Christian, then that takes care. We can't earn anything else. There's nothing else we can do. But people struggle with that all the time. And so Paul continues to make this point and drive it home. But um, he says, and be found in him. After saying that he, he do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him. He's continuing the thought, I want to win Christ because I want to be found in him. And the idea, is, the picture that's being painted here is, you got, you got yourself. We'll make yourself one circle, if you will. And that's me, that circle. Well, the thing that completely surrounds me now is Jesus Christ. I want to be found in him. 
Well, why do I want to be found in him? Because, as verse 9 says, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. The reason why we want to be found in Christ is because we'll be surrounded by the righteousness of God. Yes, Jim? Well, well, see, you just said the the word there. Where where are you putting your trust in faith? Um, Let me put it this way. The Bible is very clear, first of all, that a person can fall away. There's just too many passages against that. Um, But also, I think, in our efforts sometimes to prove the point that once saved, always saved is false, we, we almost get the attitude as Christians that, yes, I'm saved, but I'm barely saved. Or um, we, we think that God has us dangling over the pits of hell by thin rope, and he's going to cut that rope at any time possible. He's just looking for an excuse. But we need to understand that being a Christian and putting our faith and trust in God and his son, Jesus Christ, it's harder to fall away than, than what some, we sometimes give people credit for. It's obvious a person can apostatize. It's obvious a person can get so wound up um, that they turn their back on Jesus Christ and whatnot, and they'll lose their, protect, their, their the blood and righteousness. In fact, that's the whole point of, of that discussion in Hebrews 10. When you count the, the cross of Jesus Christ of no effect and you trot it underneath, you're basically saying, I don't need the cross anymore. And if you say you don't need the cross anymore, then psh, there remaineth no more sacrifice for your sins because you've done away with the very thing that you did. But yet at the same time, and this is where we sometimes mess up, and Somebody don't write me up as a heretic. But we also got to understand that as as we live the Christian life, every single day we sin. Because there are sins out there you didn't know you didn't do. Um, I could go around the room and I could ask people, how many of you all talked to somebody about Jesus today? How many times did you pray today? How many times did you read your Bible today? Did you have any evil thoughts today? Did you um, miss some opportunities to do good today? There's all kinds. We could just open the door up and you'd find a lot of areas where you're shortcoming. Well, that's true. But the point is, because we are Christians, we have God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, which continually cleanses us as long as we're heading in the right direction. In fact, to piggyback on what Jeff was talking about here, it says we want to be found in him. And, of course, Galatians 3.27 tells us that as many of us have been baptized, have been put, put on Christ, or in the same way being found in him, But we've got to understand and appreciate what's being said here in verse 9 where it says, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God uh, by faith. Now there's two different things going on here. First of all, in order to, the point he's making is that there's no way in the world our own righteousness can save us. Our own righteousness will not save us. But the righteousness that will save us is the righteousness which is of God. God puts his righteousness on us, how? Through the faith of Christ, okay? Now, I mentioned this Sunday morning for just a minute. You've got the faith in verse 9, and you've got by faith in verse 9. You've got too many things on. You've got two different things going on here. Or else he was just being redundant. But through the faith of Christ, how is the righteousness of God put on him? Through the faith. Well, first of all, what is the faith? Well, there's a lot of things we can talk about. There's the faith that's expressed here in the Bible, but the number one thing is 
The faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He came to this earth and died for your sins. And if you believe that, then that's what's going to save you. It's the faith that Christ died for our sins is the thing that is the faith that causes us to be saved. But then the latter part of verse uh, 9 talks about that this happens by faith. And now the impetus is not on what Jesus did. Now the impetus is on what you did. Now here's a question we have a hard time dealing with sometimes. We don't really explore this enough. When I say the word faith, and I'm not going to put this out here because I'm going to get all kinds of different answers and I don't want to embarrass anybody tonight. But if I say faith, the number one thing that people think of is, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, that's part of your faith. But that's belief, but it's not just faith. Or it's not just belief and it's not, I'm trying to, um, it's not everything. You put it that way. True definition of faith is the idea of trust. It's trusting. When someone, in the, and as in this text right here, he talk, he's talking about that we are saved by faith, and the point he's driving on to in the context here is I'm putting all my trust, everything into Jesus Christ. The point he's driving at is I can't put my trust in myself because that won't do me any good. I've got to put it all in Jesus Christ. And we talked about somebody who has a strong faith. Does that mean they believe in Jesus more than you do? Does that mean they have more knowledge of the faith than you do? Well, the reason why they might have more knowledge of the faith than you do is because of the kind of faith I'm talking about. It's the person who learns as they live their lives, and especially as you get older, you appreciate this, you understand and appreciate the fact that you've got to put your complete trust in Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that will save you. Nothing else will. And so that's the kind of faith we talk about. Faith is a lot of different things, but the number one faith that, that, that the Bible talks about as far as our salvation is concerned, when it says a person is saved by faith, is putting their trust and their commitment in Jesus Christ, knowing He will save you. That's what real faith is. It comes by learning the faith, and we come to a knowledge of faith by studying about the faith and appreciating the fact of all the different things that Jesus is, but it boils down to the fact that true faith is the idea of who you're going to put your trust in. I'm trusting Jesus Christ to save me. That's all I can do. I can't can't do anything else. That's just what it boils down to. Absolutely. And so when, no matter what life throws at you, you got that trust and commitment in Jesus Christ that he's going to take care of you. And, and this fits with everything that Paul is talking about because what did the Judaizing teacher say? You need to trust in yourself. You need to trust in these works. Paul's saying, no, you put every bit of that trust in Jesus Christ because that's the only way that you're going to be righteous. That's the only way you're going to get the righteousness of God. And so... Um, Look at what he's done here. It's almost like he, 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 it's like we can almost put a board up here and put the Judaizers versus Paul, or the Judaizers versus what Christ has done. On the Judaizing side, you've got the law. On Paul's side, you've got grace. That's what he's talking about. On the Judaizing side, you've got works. On Paul's side, you've got faith. On the Judaizing side, you've got you earning your righteousness. On Paul's side, you've got 
freedom. Free. That, great, that righteousness is free. You don't earn it. There's no way you can earn it. On Paul's side, I mean on the Judaizing side, who is getting the glory? People. You are. On Paul's side, who is getting the glory? God. In fact, that's why he says, um, let me find it here real quick. He just said it earlier. Um, I can't find it right now. I've got too many words in front of me. But he's talking about how that he is going, he can't glory but anywhere but through Jesus Christ is his glory. That's the point I'm looking for. As far as the Judaizers were concerned, what they were asking people to do in order to be saved, and that is to earn their salvation, that's impossible. But in order to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's available to anyone who's willing to do what God commands in order to receive it. And so this is all what he's talking about here when he's trying to understand and let them appreciate that uh, everything that they did had no purpose whatsoever, that um, they couldn't be trusting in themselves, they needed to be trusting in uh, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, which being made conformable unto his death. Now, you pick up a lot of different commentaries, and there's a lot of different pe- things that people will say that's going on here in verse 10, and, and they may be right, and others may be right. But I always like to keep things within the context of what we're studying, and so I kind of lean toward looking at something from that standpoint. And in the context, he's talking about how that um, Jesus Christ is the one that saves him, and so he certainly wants to know him and the power of his resurrection, which is the idea of the fact that one day he's going to be risen from the dead. He's powerful enough to do that. And he's also making a mention of the fact that uh, Christ has the power, that, we don't, that uh, he has the power to save us, if you will. And then he goes on, he talks about the fellowship of his suffering. Paul, of course, when he wrote this, he was in prison. And um, I don't know if you re- uh, understand and appreciate it, that, that the whole ball that got this whole thing that got... Paul's suffering. The reason why he was in a, in a prison in Rome awaiting trial to find out if he was going to be executed, where did this all start? Go way back in the book of Acts. How did this ball ever get rolling? Yes, Roger. All right. And therefore, they, in a sense, were wanting him to be more Judaized, and they sent him to the temple, didn't he? And he's still suffering for that to this day, is that when he's writing these words. And so he's making, a, once again, this idea that he is suffering for Christ because of the fact that he did the very same thing that he's talking to these people about. He learned how wrong that is. And also, as other commentators say, he is suffering now as a Christian, and that shouldn't upset anyone if you suffer as a Christian because Jesus Christ suffered. And also, I think you can make the point that just because he's suffering as a Christian doesn't give him any more earning power than someone who's not suffering as a Christian because that would fly to face everything that he did. But he goes on and says this. This is the part I like. Being made conformable unto his death. The reason why he was able to say everything he says thus for is that he was conformed to his death. Now tell me a time when Paul was conformed to his death. There you go. Good job, Michael. Romans 6, 3 through 5 talks about how that we are conform. Well, it doesn't use the word conform. A little bit later on in verses 17 and 18, he uses a word that's similar to that. When we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto us, and we became no longer were the servants of sin, but became servants of righteousness. But when we conform to his death, 
We are buried in baptism. Okay? Now, if you look at the very next verse, he goes on and says, If any, by, by any means I might attain, uh, attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, once again, you can find all kinds of different comments on this if you go through a bunch of commentaries, but I like sticking to what we're talking about. He was conformed to his death, all right, in baptism. And then he says, if by any means I might attain, there's some attainment, something he's trying to achieve, and it's the resurrection of the dead. Now, some commentators say that's talking about the actual resurrection of the dead, but that makes it almost sound like Paul is saying, well, if I get there, well, that, that doesn't make any sense with everything he just said about being saved. Right, absolutely. So what do you, what do you think? He, I think he's carrying on this idea that when a person is conformed to his death, and you continue reading Romans 6, 3 through 5, after that person conforms to the death of Jesus Christ and is buried in the watery grave of baptism, what happens to them? They rise to walk in new life. That's a resurrection. In fact, you're emulating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that brings the point of summing up everything. When I became a Christian, I now walk in new life. It's not because of what I did before I became a Christian. It's not because of anything that I've earned or anything. But when I conform to his death, I rise to walk in a new life, and it's because of what Christ is, not because of what I did. Now, once again, we're going to see, because we're running out of time, but the next time we have class, Paul begins a, a big discussion about how that he points out the fact, now, I understand, I've not reached perfection. I, I, I haven't been able to do that. And he's playing on the idea that he understands that his works are not going to save him, but he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's where he's driving the point home that we are saved completely by the merit of Jesus Christ, not our own. But we understand and appreciate the fact that we're not perfect, but as we live the Christian life, we keep pressing toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus, forgetting those things which you've done in the past and looking forward to those things which are before. And we'll spend some more time talking about that. I think I saw your hand up. Smitty, we'll have to close there. Absolutely. He's new, but he's still a creature, isn't he? <laughs> All right, let's stop there. Thank you so much.